1976, only 30-some months after Roe v. Wade's imposition on the American heart. We're witnessing the dawn of the era of U.S. Supreme Court judicial supremacy over the Democratic consensus that had rejected abortion. It is at this moment that a young congressman named Henry Hyde stood up on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives to speak raw truth to the grim new powers behind American abortion culture. Representative Hyde, hailing from Illinois' 6th Congressional District outside of Chicago, invoked the memory of the horrors of the Second World War in his remarks, introducing the need for protection of American taxpayer dollars from needlessly financing abortion expansion. Representative Hyde saw that the eugenic mentality that drove Nazi crimes against humanity had come to America in the form of abortion, even well within living memory of that titanic conflict. And in the face of any growing threat, containment would be the first necessary step, the stopping of the expansion of a social threat, whether slavery, Nazi aggression, or the infanticide that is every abortion. Representative Hyde became the namesake of the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits the use of federal taxpayer dollars from financing abortions and abortion businesses. The Hyde Amendment has for decades ensured that no American would be implicated in the tragedy of abortion via taxpayer support for abortion culture. So Hyde was more than just a buzzword or a policy idea. Hyde was a real man who had an impact on America so substantial that we are still wrestling with his vision and the consensus against needless abortions today, more than a decade after the man's passing from this life. Congressman Hyde's work couldn't be more relevant today, as many politicians, even those who formerly supported the Hyde Amendment, like President Joe Biden, have now turned away and embraced the promotion of abortion and its taxpayer financing. Now, more than ever, it's vitally important to hear from the man behind the Hyde Amendment himself, since the drama of the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill became, unfortunately, the first spending bill since 1976 without Hyde protections. Fortunately, Congressman Hyde's 1998 remarks remain instructive to us today. The congressman covers the horror of partial birth abortion, the need for enlightened Americans to work against abortion and to promote better alternatives, and the need to support mothers and families facing unexpected pregnancies. Let's listen in to Congressman Henry Hyde's remarks to Americans United for Life. I am Tom Shakely, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to uh, see so many uh, old friends and some new friends here today uh, in the service of the cause that consumes us all, the defense of the unborn. Um, there is a 
tremendous burden of presumption on my shoulders trying to tell any of you anything about this subject. You're all soldiers who've been in the trenches for years and uh, many of you have made enormous contributions to the cause and uh, this is a war that never ends. We, we go from skirmish to skirmish and battle to battle. Uh, occasionally we win one. We win a good one. Uh, and it is those victories that encourage us to go on, but even if we didn't win them, the fight is certainly worth the candle. Uh, Thomas Wolfe wrote uh, his great novel, one of his great novels, You Can't Go Home Again, uh, came out about 1938, and he has a chapter in there called The Beggar on Horseback. And he adapts it from the writings of the famous German poet Goethe, where he says that all progress is never in a straight line, but it's like a drunken beggar on horseback, reeling and lurching. But the important thing is not that the beggar is drunk or that the horse is reeling and lurching, but that he is mounted and is going forward. Well, that's uh, maybe a good definition or analogy to the pro-life cause. We, we never quite get there. We won't get there till Roe v. Wade is outlawed or reversed, whether by a more enlightened Supreme Court or by an enlightened Congress with an enlightened electorate to ratify a constitutional amendment. Uh, I don't see that as, the, as going to happen. We had high hopes that we'd get a Supreme Court under Mr. Reagan, under Mr. Bush, that would reverse Roe v. Wade, but we didn't. We were very disappointed and dismayed. Um, uh, I won't use the word betrayed, but uh, it rhymes with dismayed, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, in any event, uh, we understand that we, we, we have to nibble at the edges, take our chances, seize the opportunities when they're available to us. Partial birth abortion is the current um, cause, celeb, with, among the pro-life movement. Uh, partial birth abortion has a tremendous advantage in that it focuses on the baby. One of the real problems in discussing the abortion issue as such is it's hard to get people to visualize what they cannot see. Uh, and out of sight, out of mind, uh, no matter how illogical that is in the context of pregnancy, um, it's a fact. And the baby cannot be ignored in partial birth abortion. The baby is right there. So uh, that issue has been of help in focusing people on the abortion issue, just what it is. Um, there's an enormous amount of ignorance among people about abortion, about pregnancy, about a child in the womb, about how abortions are done. And I was thinking only this morning, wouldn't it be nice if universities, some universities anyway, had a course in abortion, uh, a course in the history of abortion, in the biology of abortion, the consequences of abortion, would invite people in to lecture to the class, 
But there are so many electives in colleges uh, that are inconsequential. It would seem to me uh, the more educated a cadre of spokesmen on this issue could be developed, the, uh, the better for our cause. The pro-abortion movement is fueled by a, t by a total lack of imagination. They, they really have no idea uh, of the potential that they're exterminating in their praising of uh, what they are pleased to call pro-choice. It's so interesting because it's so hypocritical. Uh, you don't hear a word from these people in criticism of the worst violation of the pro-choice philosophy, which is China's uh, coerced abortion, family planning, family limitation uh, programs. I mean, it's there, and it happens every day, and it is the opposite of choice, where women are uh, forcibly sterilized, children are taken away from them, um, but you don't hear a sound from them. So uh, hypocrisy reigns supreme. Uh, I think it's well for every pro-lifer to get a directory of care and counseling services so that you can tangibly wave it in front of your opponents uh, who uh, take some perverse pleasure in saying that the pro-life movement only cares about the child up until birth and then loses interest. Uh, I have a wonderful directory, uh, which I got from uh, National Right to Life, but it's, uh, it's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of care and counseling agencies that help uh, women get over the problems of unwanted pregnancy and the attendant problems with that. And they're wonderful. They exist. They need our support. You ought to find one near where you live and support it. Uh, as fully as you can, but this is an aspect of what we do that uh, uh, deserves uh, wider currency and wider propaganda because it's part of the pro-life movement. The pro-life movement doesn't end with birth. Um, during the last debate on partial birth abortion, that is the last debate in the House on overriding the President's veto, we did very well. We got 296 votes. There were some more votes we could have gotten, but due to illnesses, the, we're not present to, to make the vote. Bill Young stands in my mind. Uh, he was having some heart surgery. Uh, he very pro-life from Florida. And so I know we'd have gotten his vote, and, and there were some others too. But um, during that debate, uh, I was wondering how do not be so redundant and recapitulate things that have been said before. And uh, I thought of the movie Amistad, which I hope some of you have seen. Uh, Amistad is a story about a slave ship in 1839, a Spanish ship that had uh, 56 slaves, and I guess 32 of them survived a mutiny and uh, got to the United States where they were incarcerated in Connecticut and had litigation which ended up before the Supreme Court. But it's a fascinating story and had enormous pro-life significance in my judgment. Uh, the uh, 
argument made before the Supreme Court on behalf of the slaves was made by John Quincy Adams, who was aged and infirm at the time, but was somehow talked into representing the slaves, and his part was played by Anthony Hopkins brilliantly in the movie. Um, actually, in real life, the argument that was made by John Quincy Adams took two days to make. Uh, it lasted over nine hours. Uh, but, it, of course, in the movie, they encapsulated. But uh, with the marvelous uh, demeanor and persona of uh, Anthony Hopkins playing John Quincy Adams, he, uh, he said some things that I thought had remarkable pertinence to the anti-abortion movement. The first thing he said was he reminded the court, this is the most important case you'll ever hear because it concerns the very nature of man. Well, slavery, of course, does concern the nature of man, and so does the issue of abortion. Uh, when you get into dis debating abortion, if you draw parallels between slavery, you find some black people, particularly liberal black politicians, want to take great umbrage at uh, that uh, parallel. Uh, similarly, the Holocaust, which uh, uh, I see a perfect analogy to, earns you the uh, outrage of many people who emphasize the singularity of the Holocaust and, and uh, resents anybody using it for comparisons. Uh, my own view is that the, the Holocaust and slavery shares a common thread with abortion, namely the dehumanization of people. Uh, they are not people in the fullest sense of the word, and we can learn in America from our history, the history of slavery and the history of the Holocaust, insofar as the dehumanization uh, of people, which is common to all of those. So um, I uh, made, I took the chance of making the parallel comparison because I think it's very apt. But the question of abortion concerns the very nature of man, too. Uh, the second thing he said in that statement, he, uh, during his closing argument, he walks up to the wall where there's a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And he says, what are we going to do with this embarrassing document, with its conceits of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and individual rights? All men are born equal. He said, I have a modest suggestion. Let's tear it up. Um, how appropriate for the pro-life movement, because the inalienable right to life is the first right, and it's an endowment, not an, not an achievement, from the Creator. So that is one of the most powerful arguments we have historically in defense of the unborn. And then during the course of the, of the uh, argument, uh, something occurred that I have been waiting for years to figure out how to handle. It has always occurred to me that when somebody dies, when an abortion occurs, that that person has had ancestors going back to the Garden of Eden. And the travail that they had, those ancestors had to survive to reach this moment where a birth is about to occur uh, boggles the mind. The, 
the, the wars, the natural disasters, the diseases, the pestilence, the plagues, um, all of the life-threatening um, factors that have required survival, endurance. And then here at this moment, this little child is going to be born and is snuffed out. Not only is this child snuffed out, but the progeny of that child, the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren to the end of time. And so it just seemed to me that theme required a great dramatist to, to uh, explain to people what a real tragedy an abortion is, what a foreclosing of the future, and what a waste of centuries of suffering and travail to end up being killed at the moment you should be born. And uh, that whole notion was very simply handled in the, in the movie by the uh, leader of the slaves, a man, very impressive, tall, strong person named Sinke, uh, who called upon his ancestors to give them spiritual support in their trial. That was the way of his tribe, the Minde, in Sierra Leone, uh, call upon the, their ancestors to bring their spiritual support to them. So he said, we're not alone. We have the spirit of our ancestors. And uh, as uh, Hopkins playing Quincy Adams says to the court, um, the only reason those ancestors ever existed back to the beginning of time was so that he might be here today. Well, that's true of all of us. The only reason our ancestors lived is so that we might be here today, and our children and our grandchildren. So uh, those three ideas, it seemed to me, were helpful in dramatizing the importance of what we're doing uh, in trying to defend the unborn. Uh, We need a bipartisan front on this. There are many, many reasons why we don't have it. Um, I'm uh, ashamed of the Democratic Party, but if I say that, I'm being a partisan Republican, but they have always, when I grew up, they were the party of the little guy. They were the party of the powerless, the party of those that are left out, and that isn't so today. Occasionally, we see a brave Democrat who uh, will defend the unborn, but uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they, they are the party of abortion. And uh, the Republicans, for the most part, are pro-life. However, we have some real struggles in our party, too. Uh, this isn't uh, necessarily a, par a partisan thing, but uh, we, we get attacked from the right and from the left. We have our very moderates, which is a euphemism for liberal, um, uh, who think we ought to keep our nose out of the most intimate decision a woman will ever make. Uh, then we have the far right, that if we don't have an agenda that is totally successful and 100% purist, uh, why we have failed and don't deserve the support of the religious right. And so it, it becomes a, 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 a political struggle. 
I remember years ago listening to Walter Judd, a great congressman from Minneapolis, say that you don't sail a ship into the breeze to get from here to there. You have to go this way and you have to go this way and that way. And you're faced, I'm faced with a problem of whether or not we stand absolutely unqualifiedly against all abortions and not have the votes to save thousands of babies or whether we go this way and go that way and is that a compromise of our conscience well when you're faced with having to make that decision it's a little tougher than when you're writing about it or thinking about it or preaching about it if a house is on fire and you can't save everybody you try to save whom you can what you can uh, rape and incest in my judgment are absolutely no reason for an abortion they're even more of a reason for loving the other victim in that crime and that would be the unborn child but the American people aren't there and if you want to stop the 99% of abortions from being federally funded uh, you make those exceptions and you hope and pray that over the years education understanding and logic will overcome those as exceptions uh, I have never been comfortable with rape and incest as exceptions but I am consoled by the fact that it's about a half of a half of one percent of the pregnancies that are the result of rape or incest and um, you're saving the overwhelming amount of children from abortion uh, at least from federal funding of abortion uh, by living with those exceptions but hoping and praying and working towards the day we can get rid of them um, that's a tough decision to make I can assure you I ask myself w under which circumstance is my conscience more eased um, saying no not w I'm not for even a little bit of abortion I'm not for any abortion uh, whatsoever that's the purest position certainly defensible certainly logical but it will not prevail and I don't feel it is a compromise of sinful proportions to try to save as many as we can hoping and praying that the education process will one day give us enough votes to reverse Roe v. Wade uh, but that's a tough question and it's one every member has to face uh, for themselves uh, but again um, it's hard to please the Dr. Dobsons and others uh, who uh, have very high expectations but it seems to me uh, don't quite understand the lack of democratic cooperation in some of this legislation uh, the fact that we every Republican isn't pro-life we have about 20 that uh, go off the reservation or more um, and we have a president that will veto anything that uh, is is right on this subject uh, what was it Saul Bellow said a great deal of intelligence can be invested in ignorance when the need for illusion is great and uh, we see that certainly uh, on trying to get the three votes we need from partial birth abortion uh, we can only hope and pray and write letters and sign petitions and try to keep the pressure on those who ought to know better Durban in Illinois is certainly one 
Carol Mosley, they're both, I think he says he's Catholic and Carol Mosley Braun says she's Catholic. Both votes on the wrong side on that issue. I don't know uh, why other than uh, a total failure of imagination or being in lockstep with the pro-abortion movement. Um, I think the pro-abortion, I'm sorry, pro-life movement is doing something proper in that they when they send questionnaires around to new candidates, they educate them as to what the issues are. I think you make a mistake in assuming that a person running for the state legislature knows about the issue of abortion. I never heard of the word when I was asked to co-sponsor uh, a bill liberalizing abortion back in 1968. And luckily I found Charles Rice's book out of print, ought to be in print, the vanishing right to live. And I read it and I said, my God, I not only can't support this, I've got to fight it. And I have been on the tiger's back and I dare not dismount from that moment till now. But uh, I salute you for caring as much as you do care. Uh, I salute every one of you. This is a cause that is worthy uh, of the whole of your life, really. Charles de Gaulle said my favorite quotation, France would not be true to herself if she weren't engaged in some great enterprise. Well, that's true of all of us. We all have to engage in a great enterprise or we're time servers, we're clock watchers, we're space fillers, we're ciphers. Uh, and I can't think of a more important cause than the defenseless unborn. Uh, we win our victories. We should be encouraged. Uh, 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 we're getting converts uh, every day. Uh, when you think about uh, Roe versus Wade and you think about Ms. Corvey becoming a Christian and a Catholic, and you think about the miracle of Dr. Bernard Nathanson from being one of the premier abortionists to one of the premier defenders of life, why uh, those are signs of great encouragement, and so we have to keep the spirit of effort alive. I will try to answer any questions you might have, uh, because that's about what I have to say. Thank you. You just heard from Congressman Henry Hyde speaking to Americans United for Life in Chicago at a 1998 legislative gathering. Now, as you can tell, Americans United for Life has been in this fight since the beginning. That's 1971, to be exact, and that means that we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Our work equips advocates and lawmakers to protect women and children across the nation, and all of it is only possible because of your partnership and support. Consider a monthly gift to Americans United for Life if you are ready to stand alongside us to end abortion in America. If you enjoyed our show today, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show, rate it and leave a review. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, just email us at life at aul.org. I am Tom Shakely, and until next time, thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law.